You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Are you not feeling depressed, not feeling burned out, but still feeling a bit aimless? Do you know friends, family, or patients that are feeling like that? Or have you heard the word languishing lately? Yeah, me too. This is Primary Care in a Pandemic. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm a medical anthropologist working at the University of British Columbia's Department of Family Practice. And I'm Morgan, a family doctor working in the inner city, and I'm faculty in the Department of Family Practice. We're both part of the Primary Care Innovation Support Unit, or the ISU. So Sarah, the the numbers in BC for new infections for COVID-19 are trending down again, which is fantastic. I know it's not the same across the world, probably the worst numbers we've had in the last few weeks globally, but locally they're getting a little bit better, which is great. Yeah, and it feels like in, in BC at least, things are looking up that way. All of a sudden, younger and younger age cohorts are able to get vaccinated. We've still got this vaccine shortage that's yeah. super annoying. I'm still calling around pharmacies. There is no AstraZeneca where we are right now. We're at a, to quote Bonnie Henry, a, a new and encouraging point in our vaccine supply. It feels like we've got vaccine on the horizon. And I know we've had a couple of horizons, but it does feel like supply is getting a bit more consistent for for at least a couple of the vaccines. And Canada is a first for vaccines in terms of authorizing kids 12 and up, which is really exciting in our household because we have an 11-year-old whose birthday is coming up in a few months. And so we're trying to see how the timing will unfold for him, which is great. Yeah, that's so exciting. But, you know, the other thing that happened this week was the new NACI guidelines were released. And I think they've increased confusion. They released this idea that mRNA vaccines, so Pfizer, Moderna, are preferred over viral vector vaccines. That really counters what Health Canada is saying. I feel like it's all of a sudden caused this flurry of new questions coming out about the vaccines. It's just so important to remember that the whole preference idea has nothing to do with efficacy. It's about the very minimal safety risk. And I just don't feel like that's being communicated right now. It is really tricky. And we've talked about this on the podcast before about what the chance of getting a clot is. It is a different mechanism. So I think that's important for people to realize and all those things. But it's small. But the public perception, because of how much this has been talked about, is much larger than what the, the numbers are. And I think it goes for both of the two viral vector vaccines that we have available in Canada. Like we said last week, that processing of those numbers, now we've got to do more of that in primary care to help people. It just, it feels like it's another kind of decision that's now on people's shoulders when they have to think about vaccination. And there's already so much on everyone's plate. To me, that one small announcement just had these sort of ripple effects that I think really increased kind of the general level of, of stress that we're feeling, despite being in this great place in BC with decreasing numbers and vaccine on the horizon and all of this positive potential. In that context of another decision to make, this is a time when we're feeling positive, but we don't always have the capacity right now in primary care. This is going to result in dozens of additional, let's go over it again, questions every day. And you know, it's month 15 of the pandemic. It's been going on for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I think we felt that the end was near. And then because we felt that too soon, we've had to redress here. And we've done great in BC, I think, you know, to see how the numbers have come down so quickly from our new peak to where they are now. And hopefully that continues. It is. It's month 15. It happens to be mental health week when we're recording this. So to acknowledge that more people are struggling right now and uh, thinking about the end is close, but what does that mean? And is it the beginning of the end or is it the end of the beginning? Yeah. And it feel, it just feels like 
you don't really want to get your hopes up because you don't want to be let down. And, you know, what are those things that you can look forward to? So Star Wars Day was this week, May the 4th. It's huge in my house. Mine too. Highly anticipated this year, I think, more than uh, any other year yet. And I think that seeing how those little things, Star Wars Day, Cinco de Mayo, I saw a whole bunch of stuff going on in families, finding these different small ways to celebrate. We watched New Hope. Very topical. We went and watched The Bad Batch, which maybe has its own ironic title for what we just talked about in terms of vaccine. The new buzzword, though, this month seems to be languishing. And in fact, some people said it's the dominant emotion of 2021. And it goes to the idea of, like you said earlier, like, don't want to get my hopes up. Not sure if it matters that we're close or how close does it really matter? It's going to be a while kind of flat feeling. And I think really that the idea of languishing came out in this great article in the New York Times. And it's defined as a sense of emptiness, joylessness, stagnation. I was like, oh, the space between depression and flourishing totally resonated with me. And I think all of a sudden being able to be like, oh, that's what this is. You know, I'm not doing horribly. I have a great sort of support system around me, but things just aren't so fun. It's that doldrums kind of thing, that languishing. And it's important to name that. It's not acute and so it can easily slip in. And if many people, and we're all kind of feeling that, you know, we can all go to languishing and then a little bit lower into languishing and a little bit lower. So today we want to think about what does that mean for us? How can we combat languishing? And that's always what we try to do here in the podcast. We try to present something that we can tackle. The first idea that I had about this was about attending. So I think it can be helpful for us to be intentional about the and taking a moment of, of attention about how we're doing something and how we're doing in general before we start something else. So is this like the power of intention or? No, no. So it's not. It's attending to oneself. And we, we teach this in our micro skills course to new residents every year. When we're talking about breaking bad news or having to have a, a difficult conversation with a patient, and it's basically it's taking a brief moment to reflect on how you're feeling before you do something, before you have that difficult conversation, just taking a second in and internally going, okay, how do I feel before I'm about to do this thing? And doing the reverse, so trying to reflect on how you imagine the other person might be feeling as well. And it's feeling, it's not thinking. I think that's important for me. I often fall into this sort of, I'm thinking that I'm going to do this, but really it's about, I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling flat. I am tired today and I need to do this thing. Just acknowledging that internally. It's not the power of intention. It's that attending to how how you're doing personally. And I think, is it intentionally creating the space before you see a patient? Yes. So that's the intentional part. So before you see a patient, it can be done during an encounter too. In fact, it can be really helpful if suddenly the example I give is things are going well in an encounter and suddenly, oops, I've said something that that didn't land the way I thought it was going to and the person is getting upset. That's a perfect time to quickly do a quick attend. Just that little pause of, okay, I'm feeling anxious now. Acknowledge that. It can be all sorts of other things that you can bring forward into whatever you're going to do next. So you can do it in the moment. And it's often helpful to do it intentionally beforehand too. For today, in this world of Zoom meetings, it's so easy to go click to the next patient or click to the next meeting that to take that moment in between and just go, ah, that wasn't great. Can give yourself that space. Two seconds, move forward. Yeah. Even if it was great and you're going to bring that forward, it's good to attend to that feeling too. And that that can really just help bring that consciousness to the moment instead of skipping between everything that's on screen these days. And I think that idea of bringing consciousness to the moment, our our next idea was really to talk about kind of attention and thinking about how to rebuild your attention when you maybe get worn down. 
with some new routines. Yeah, so this is, we're using all the same words today. So not attending, but attention. So for me, it's that sustained attention. And again, multi-meetings, they're getting fit in every 15 minutes, multiple patient visits, the phone buzzes, texts, Slack, Zoom, etc. It can break up your attention span. For me, one of the tricks is to time block. If anybody knows the author Cal Newport, he promotes time blocking as a way to, to get into building your sustained attention. And that's critical to reaching a state of flow, which I think we'll talk about just after this. Turning off the alerts. I did it before this session. I turned off my notifications, letting family know the next hour, two hours, I'm, I'm not available. I think those are all really important, Sarah, and it's so easy not to do those things. Especially with, again, shared calendars, everybody's work is only four feet from where you have a break. It's so easy to spill. Yeah, I'm so bad with that kind of sustained attention thing. There's always so many things going on. I think that's a really valuable reminder to create those spaces. And as parents, too, you can't be, I'm taking the next four hours off, kids. That's not possible. Wouldn't it be amazing, though? <laughs> yeah, and Sarah, as they get older, it's easier. And then the reverse is going to happen. I'm just on that cusp, right, of, uh, I'm out of here, Dad. But the other thing to know is you don't have to have this all the time, but to find those blocks of time and find what's optimal for you. And especially in our time of languishing, to find those times that are the best for you and block them. Probably ideally every day, even two, three times a week is better than nothing. Daniel Pink did some research around optimal performance and time. And he wrote a book called When. And what's staggering for me is it was something like a 20% better performance on a math test, depending on what time of day it was administered. Generally, morning is better. So if you can find that couple hours in the morning or 90 minutes in the morning that you, you can block off on a Tuesday and a Friday. I know I make sure that I do every Sunday morning. It's a learning block before anyone gets up in the morning and nothing else interrupts that. And it's to learn whatever I want. That's been sustaining this year for me. One of the things I was thinking about earlier in the year was like, I, I need to find a hobby. I need something that I can do that's going to be that sustaining thing for me. And finding a hobby, that idea was a little bit too hard for me. All of my natural hobbies would involve other people. But then I realized it was about finding one new thing to do, to make, to read, to listen to. And an important kind of reflection for me as we were thinking about putting this together was the real value was in doing something new. And it was about making that decision to, I'm going to read this thing. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to do these sort of different uh, activities that are going to give me that time and space to sort of regroup. From a couple episodes ago, that whole soundscape of me coming to your house, right. that's an example of a thing that I just did that I could have fun with. And it, it took a lot of attention to learn how to do that because I hadn't done anything like that before. And uh, gosh, that was fun to do. And I'm not going to do that every episode, obviously, but it just gave me that little bit of a non-languishing perk for several days. It was good to do that. So finding those new things that you can focus attention on that really get you to that place of flow where things are hard, but really renewing at the same time. Let's talk about flow. It's not quite happiness. It's not quite contentment. It's something different. And people who haven't heard about it before, it's confusing a little bit because it is about doing something hard, just like you said. It's hard and it's the right level of difficulty. So it's not impossibly hard, but it's hard enough that you can't concentrate on anything else but working, figuring out that thing. To, to find a flow state, it also has to have a pretty clear goal so you know when you're doing it or when you've gotten to finishing and you can see progress. I guess it also has to be something that's meaningful to you, right? That is yeah. worth putting that focus and effort and attention into. And then you want it to be frequent enough to create kind of a pattern, right? Yeah. And the video games create kind of something like this, but it may not have the whole meaning behind it. But it does. It's hard. It requires your concentration. 
but maybe it doesn't have the same sort of meaningful component. And that I think is also really key. Practicing instruments is a great example. I'm going to learn that song. I'm going to learn how to finger th those chords correctly. Each one of those markers is so key. If I think about the work uh, that we're doing right now in the ISU, we're doing this big piece of work around primary care evaluation and, and we're doing a set of evaluation framework comparisons. And that to me is a space where we block off these chunks of time. You sit down, you have a very specific goal, you're working with one other person. It's very focused and it's that kind of activity that can let you have that sort of flow feeling in the work that you're doing. We were saying the time seems to go so quickly. Yeah, I have to say that particular project is one that I've wanted to do for over a year. And right now I'm spending maybe six to eight hours a week on it in two-hour chunks. After every two hours, I always feel good. If I think about places and times where you can get that, a lot of people have that with exercise, setting goals, being able to measure progress. You know, I've taken up running again, having that as like a thing to do with a specific time goal, with a very defined beginning point, end point. That's been really helpful for and, me. And do you find that like for, for running for you, you get into that flow state? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Some of the flow stuff is hard to really get into with a patient in a short visit. For some people, they'll be super keen and you can point them to books by Cal Newport. And there's a book, I, uh, we'll put it in the show notes about flow. But for a lot of patients, it's hard to have a longer conversation about this in the middle of all the other parts of care. But synthetic winds are actually one that I, I want to highlight as a technique that we can bring into helping patients move a little bit out of languishing. And that is consciously bringing any project or any piece of work you need to do down into smaller, smaller chunks. And then you can motivate based on having completed the different chunks of work. To-do lists are great. And if people don't do those, it's a simple thing to add in. We use a, a tool called Trello, and I keep it reminding everyone, make the elements smaller so that you can get them to done. You can move them through the, the process and finish them. And it's much better to make five cards and finish three of them than to have one big card that sits there. Oh, yeah. I love moving things to done. It's the best. And that's a simple thing we can coach our patients on, not to use Trello, but to break down what you need to do, break it down again, and, and make a list. Those small chunks and then tick off a list. That just shows the progress when you feel like nothing's changing. It's a very small one that we can encourage patients to do around their health and just around their life in general. Great. For this episode, we've talked about a bunch of different ideas. Sarah, I think it's, I'm going to take this away from my own myself as well, but to pick one of them, something that's reasonable and uh, achievable and start to work on that over the next month. So that could be practicing attending taking that time to, to think about how you're feeling before you're going into something, taking a little break in between Zoom meetings, really time blocking chunks from your work calendar to get good work done without distraction. And think about you know, what time of day works best for, for you, where you're going to be the most productive. Take your calendar and after this, put in three slots of 90 minutes that you know that, and, and let people know you're not available for an interruption during that time unless it's an emergency. Alternately, uh, you could do that time block chunks in your personal time. There's some ideas. We'll post some resources in the show notes to some of the books and materials that we talked about today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you join us next time. Yeah, thanks everybody. And I think next time we're going to talk about flourishing and character strengths. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 